Hello and welcome to Here's Johnny's Reviews, the Mephi Review Podcast. That's all slice and dice or praise and hype a movie. Each and every month there's a thing. As it's September, I'm doing Serial September. My look at serial killer movies. This week is Zodiac from 2007. And unlike the other movies I've covered this month, I have seen this once, but I remember very little. All remember is this is a very, very slow burner, and indeed very long, and it has an all-star cast. This is a over two and a half hour movie, so let's just dive into this one. With its $65 million budget, this thing pulled in $84 million. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Edwards, Elias Cortez, Donald Logue, and Dermot Maroney. Directed by David Fincher. The plot. In the late 60s and early 70s in San Francisco Bay Area, a killer is taunting the police and victing, picking off his victims even. A cartoonist turned amateur detective is obsessed with the case. As more people die, the killer writes letters to the police, naming himself the Zodiac Killer. The letters, however, have codes in them that have never been cracked to this day. Also, this killer was never caught. So who is the killer? Let's find out what this movie thinks is the killer. After the logos pop up, up comes Hollywood's favourite phase, based on a true story. As the 4th of July fireworks explode in the night sky, up pops the 4th of July 1969 in Vallejo, California. In a light-coloured car, a blonde woman picks up her date as she drives him to a drive through to get some food. However, the place is far too busy, so she drives him to a lookout point and park. The boy seems very suspicious of this, but the girl brushes everything off. As jocks drive off, they toss fireworks at the car. This spooks the boy, Mike, played by Lee Norris. But the girl, Darlene, played by Cara Moriarty, laughs at him and mocks him for being afraid. Up pulls another car and Mike thinks he saw this thing at the drive-thru and wants to go and scare him off, but Darlene tells him no to stay put. She's now terrified of this car. And note, these are the second victims, Mike Mayhew, I think I put his name, and Darlene Furin. Both were shot and left for dead. He survived and gave a description and does the his notorious sketches out there and however she died at the scene the car drives off but speeds back then the driver puts on his high beams and exits the car both Mike and Darlene get their IDs thinking it's a cop however the man opens fire shooting Mike five times and Darlene four times he then just drives off minutes later Mike is found half dead by the car by a passing driver who then calls the police hours later the Zodiac Killer calls in to report the murders. He also takes credit for two other murders, them being David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, who were gunned down on December 20th, 1968, four weeks later in San Francisco. We meet Robert Graysmith, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, as he rushes to get his son to school. As this is happening, the titles are popping up also. Well, the title from the cast list and etc. In a traffic jam, we find out he's a cartoonist working for the San Francisco Chronicle. As he's late for work, he sardines himself into a lift or elevator. As downstairs, the mail arrives along with a letter from the Zodiac Killer. In a staff meeting, the editor shoots down 
most of Robert's cartoons. As the secretary reads the letter. Meanwhile, in the staff meeting, meets Paul Avery, played by Robert Downey Jr., doing his best Tony Stark. I swear to God, it's Tony fucking Stark. The editor is Templeton Peck, played by John Getz. He is handed a letter which he reads out aloud. Also in this letter is a cipher. Well, part of it, one third to be correct. The other two pieces were mailed to the other two big newspapers in town. Also, it has instructions to be printed. The cipher that is on the front page, or he'll go on a killing spree. And note, none of these papers did this. One placed it in page 4, another placed it in page 6. Also, the cipher was unlocked in 20 hours. Also note, Zodiac would later write hundreds of letters claiming to do stuff which he never did. I.e. shoot the tires with school bursts and pick off the victims, or indeed plant a bomb somewhere in the city. So once the editor reads the note, it sparks off debate whether or not to print the said letter. Avery calls Sergeant Jack Mullenix, played by Elias Cortez, to see if the letter holds water, asking about the, the murders stated in it, with the cops saying, yes, the paper prints the letter. Later that day, Graysmith heads to a bar, but walks away in disgust as he says Avery holding court. So later he picks up his son, Meanwhile, many, many men are trying to crack the code in many, many smoky rooms. A housewife and armchair code cracker, Betty Hort, cracks the code in minutes. Three days later, Avery hands Graysmith the cracked code, which she reads out. Quote, I like killing people because it's so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest. Because man is the most dangerous animal of all. Unquote. Avery is pulled into an meeting due to another letter, the notorious This is the Zodiac speaking letter. Almost a year later, third victims, Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepherd, are on, sorry, <coughs> this is September 27th, 1969 at Lake Berryessa. He is stabbed eight times in the back but lived, however she died of her wounds. Here is the execution outfit Zodiac wore to do this, a black hood, a black tapard with a white cross crudely drawing on, drawn on the front of it, and he's wearing clipped on sunglasses. He tells them he's an escaped prisoner wanting money to hide in Mexico. After he stabbed the two, he wrote on the car door, quote, Vallejo, 12-20-68-7-4-69, September 27 60. 9630 by knife, and then he just walks off into the woods. Anyway, so back to this movie, we see Brian Hartnell, played by Patrick Scott Lewis, and Cecilia Shepherd, played by Pell James, I guess that's her name, lying by the lake shore in the late summer sun. As the Zodiac comes out of the woods dressed in his executioner outfit, and note Brian Hartnell was a psych student. So thought talking to the killer would be a good idea, and indeed helpful. He even offered to write him a cheque due to the fact he had no money on him, only 65 cents. But he was stabbed and left for dead after being hogtied by plastic ropes. Zodiac then robs him, stabs him some more, and just leaves him for dead. Later that night, Zodiac calls the cops to report the double murder. Days later, at the newspaper office, Graysmith has sketched what the Zodiac killer looks like. He then pulls out of thin air the most dangerous game, 
movie about a man killing people for sport. Two weeks later, October the 11th, 1969, there's a curfew in effect. As a radio host is talk- taking calls on the Zodiac Killer, a taxi is being shown driven through town. This is the last known victim, Paul Stein. A taxi driver, Zodiac, shot in the neck and then tore pieces of his bloodied shirt and ran for it. Later that night, Inspector David Toshi, played by Mark Griffo, is awakened from his sleep to be told of the murder. He's picked up by his partner, Inspector Armstrong, played by Anthony Edwards, where in the car he tells him of the victim. He also beats some animal crackers, and that's a running theme through this movie. He's also constantly snacking animal crackers, which is, hmm, eccentric. And I'm getting a lot of Columbo-like acting from Ruffalo, I have got to say, as he pieces together what actually happens. He goes across the road to interview the kids that called in the murder. These kids are not helpful at all, all they say is this guy was normal. Three days later, another letter to the editor. This has a piece of the shirt taken from the victim. Also, here's where he said he'll take out the school bus. Inspector Toshi and Armstrong show up to take away the evidence. Hours later, Toshi hands the letter out to a handwriting expert to analyse the writing. On TV, news reports the Zodiac's threat to pick off a school bus. Next day, the police are swamped with calls. In SFPD, we meet Captain Lee, played by Dermot Maroney. And note, Maroney wore a fat suit for this role. Armstrong is on the phone with Sergeant Mullinux. However, his eyewitness has now skipped a town. Armstrong continues to find out the police never took photographs of the lakeside death due to a pot ranger spewing all the stuff into a blanket and throwing it aside. What the fuck? However, they do have a boot print, a size 10.5 army boots. Armstrong still gets passed around like a bloody hot potato to all the different police forces handling this case. Because there's multiple jurisdictions and multiple police forces, there's multiple bloody cops in this thing. This is why the Zodiac Killer never got bloody well caught. Uh. Toshi pulls him out to deal with two beat cops that may or may not have seen the Zodiac Killer the night of the taxi driver killing, but lets him go because they were looking for a black guy and this guy was white. What the fuck, movie? Racism much? Meanwhile, the media flame the fires of panic in the city with 24-7 coverage of the Zodiac Killer. As much later, Toshi is awakened from his sleep to be told the Zodiac Killer is going to call into a talk show, the Jim Dunbar Show. And this is the 22nd of October 1969. Zodiac wants Melvin Belli to counsel. And note, Melvin Belli was one of the best lawyers in America at the time. Cut to a media circus outside the TV studio as Toshi and Armstrong drive Belli in the back of the car. He is played by Brian Cox, by the way. So that calls in but hangs up. This continues at least 15 times. He knew they were trying to trace the calls. Oh, by the way, Jim Dunbar is played by Tom Vareka. I think I suppose his name. Zodiac claims to have headaches that started after he killed the kids. He then agrees to meet at Daly City, St. Vincent de Paul, at 10.30 in the morning. But he was a no-show. Weeks later, another letter. This time, mocking and gloating how clever the Zodiac is compared to the cops. 
also in a letter, Zodak claims he planted a bomb somewhere in the city, and this bomb has never been found. Cut to Graysmith and Avery in a bar where Avery pumps him for answers, but it goes nowhere. Both are now drunk as Graysmith pulls out books from his bag and threes out of thin air. Eleven and a half months later, it's Christmas 1970. Melvin Belly has a letter from the Zodiac Killer, which he reads out loud during a Christmas party. What the fuck? Melvin tells the inspectors he got the letter days earlier. Also, his staff has taken phone calls from the Zodiac Killer, but have left a number. What the fuck? Two and a half months later, in Misoto, California. A woman driving to her mother's alone is pulled over and, quote, kidnapped. She is Kathleen Jones, and this was the 22nd of March 1970. The man that pulled her over claimed her right back wheel was wobbling, so he, quote, fixed it for her. As minutes later, it fell off, and he returned to give a ride to a gas station. And note, she was 10 Sorry, she was seven months pregnant and had a ten-month daughter with her in the car. After a few miles, she asked to be let out, but he drove up and down the highway and refused to let her go. He then just lets her go hours later. The fuck? Weeks later, we have a montage of the letters Zodiac sent, all claiming different things. Also claiming victims that were yet to be proven to be killed by him. Weeks later, Avery takes... Graysmith to the archives to prove the Zodiac, the one that's reading letters, is full of shit and is possibly a copycat killer. As he pulls out uh, newspaper articles claiming the dates and then the letters show up two to two to three days later claiming he did the killing. So, hmm, copycat. Days later, it's now October 11th, 1970. Toshi and Armstrong are at the taxi driver's death scene. One year later, hoping Zodiac Killer is dead. Kidding. Two weeks later, and what is with this fucking timeline for God's sake? Avery gets a Halloween card from the Zodiac Killer with a piece of blood-stained shirt. And Jesus Jenkins, how much fucking shirt did this guy rip off this taxi driver? In reality, it was a small piece, and this is like fucking chunks of fucking fabric. Anyway, it's a veiled threat, so Avery gets a gun. Cut him in a shooting range, shooting really fucking badly. Cut again to Graysmith at a blind date with Melanie, played by Chloe Seven, Seven, yeah, I pronounce her bloody well name. The date is awkward, as all Graysmith talks about is a Zodiac killer. Cut again to every falling elite to the dockside all alone. The fuck? So you're trying to say to me, this guy has been getting death threats for the Zodiac Killer and he showed up to the docks alone. Oh dear. Every calls at TV stations, he claims he found out the Zodiac's first victim, a 1966 cold case. This being Cherry Jo Bates. On 30th October 1966, she was found dead, beaten and stabbed to death. This causes the floodgates of people claiming to be the Zodiac Killer. Eight months later, and my god, what is this timeline? It is July 26, 1971. Armstrong and Toshi get a strong lead about a man who talked about killing people a lot, going into extremely graphic details. This is the chief suspect, Arthur Lee Allen. 
and is played by John Carroll Lynch. In real life, he was the chief suspect, but the evidence just was not there. However, in 1974, he was arrested for having sex with a 12-year-old boy and spent two to three years in jail. The police had interest in him as a chief suspect up until his death in 1992. Ultimately, they had nothing on him, however, so they couldn't arrest him. In this movie, they find out he can write with both hands. He's ambidextrous. Cut to Captain Lee telling Armstrong and Toshi to get this guy no matter what. The next day, the 4th of August, 1971, Alan is interviewed by Armstrong, Toshi and Mullanox. He denies everything, however, does drop that the knives he had in his car that night had chicken blood on it, not human, also as he killed the chicken for dinner that night. Mullanox notices he's wearing black army-style boots, as Toshi notices he has a Zodiac watch. A note, police think the Zodiac Killer took his name from these watches. Alan drops his favourite book is The Most Dangerous Game, so they now think it's him. The handwriting from Alan isn't a match to the Zodiac's letters, so Toshi has a strung out. One year later, a burned out and strung out Avery demands to be the one in charge of the Zodiac case, but the editor says no, and all but threatens to fire him. Cut to September 7th, 1972. Armstrong is questioning Alan's sister-in-law. She claims she got him help, but he only went twice, so she asks the shrink if he thinks he's a killer, and the shrink says yes, which is bullshit. Hello, patient client confidentiality fucking thing. Anyway, days later, Toshi talks to another handwriting expert who claims he can prove he's the killer. Alan, it is. So Armstrong gets a sworn statement from a witness that overheard Alan saying he's a Zodiac killer. So they now have a warrant to search his trailer. Cut to September 14th, 1972. Alan's tra trailer is searched. It's in a state with squirrels in cages and squirrels running over a bloody place. And poor Max lying absolutely everywhere. So they toss the place and they find Rain Max, black gloves, boots, two 22 pistols and an M1 machine gun. As days later, Captain Lee says there's no match on anything. No fingerprints, no handwriting, nothing. He is not the killer. So that night, Toshi goes to see Dirty Harry in the cinema. And note, Harry Callahan, aka Dirty Harry, Harry, is based on Toshi himself. He walks out as Graysmith follows him and tells him how the movie ends. Also, he introduces himself. He then tells him he works with Avery. And with that, Toshi just walks away in disgust four years later. Avery has been fired. His replacement is Duffy Jenkins, played by Adam Goldberg. He then just brushes Graysmith off, thinks he's a little freak. As that night, Armstrong tells Toshi he has done, and he has been transferred to fraud department. Cut to Graysmith, looking through his Zodiac Killer scrapbook. Seems he and Melanie are now a full-on couple, and did they have kids? The fuck? Next day, Graysmith hunts down Avery and finds him in a houseboat, drunk with drugs all over a believable place. Over vodkas, Graysmith tells Avery to write a book. He isn't interested in saying he tossed the files years ago. Plus, 
he calls his own it killer a nobody. In fact, he's just a footnote on the book of life. Everyone throws him out. So, Graysmith decides to research himself to write a book, which this movie is based off of. Graysmith goes to SFPD to take Toshi to lunch to pick his brain over the Zodiac Killer, but Toshi tells him it's been three years since the last letter and people have now just moved on. He then pulls out his research on the book needed to write the Zodiac's first cipher, all of which were stolen from the public libraries all around the area. So Toshi sends him to see Captain Narlo, played by Donald Logue, who passes him on to Milanex. He lets him loose in the case files. Uh, hello, it's open cold case. Can they actually do that? I think not. Montage time. As Graysmith looks through the files, days later, Graysmith meets with Toshi to show his workings, saying, Darling Fern, maybe you knew who the Zodiac Killer was. Toshi tells him to talk to Melvin Belli about the phone calls he received. At Belli's house, Graysmith talks to the housemaid, she drops, she spoke to the Zodiac on the phone when he called Belli and he told her he had to kill because it was his birthday. So now Graysmith knows Zodiac's birthday is either the 18th of December or indeed the 20th of December. He goes as far as speaking to the DA who tells him to stick to the evidence. With that he returns home to Melody who is unhappy that she found out in the paper he's writing a book about the Zodiac Killer. Graysmith gets a mysterious phone call from someone claiming to know who the Zodiac Killer is to check out a Mr. Vaughn. As he has a film that has the Zodiac killings on film. What the fuck? He goes on to give the Zodiac's name as Rick Marshall. Cut to Graysmith talking to a handwriting expert who tells him he never cleared this Rick Marshall guy. That night, another phone call. It's the Zodiac, or it looks a deep braver at least. This is to Graysmith's house. This thing happens constantly through the, the latter parts of this movie. Days later, Graysmith asks Captain Narlow about Rick Marshall. He tells him that he is his prime suspect. So somehow, Graysmith gets Marshall's handwriting, takes this to the handwriting expert as he says it's a match. Wait, I'm supposed to believe a cartoonist did all this single-handedly and broke the case, yet the Zodiac Killer is still out there, allegedly. And indeed, this case is still unsolved. Bullshit! In fact, I'm losing patience with this fucking movie. I still have 35 fucking minutes. Why the fuck is this 2 hours and 40 minutes long? This could have been cut by a good 90 or so minutes. With more on the actual killings, not just 10 minutes. And let's have less of this Graysmith guy. He seems like an egotistical twat. But I must go on, because this movie goes on, for fuck's sake. <coughs> April 1978. Seems Zodiac wrote on a letter saying he can't wait until the movie about him comes out. On TV, Christmas hears about the Zodiac letter. As indeed the press think Toshi wrote this letter to get PR for himself. Seems Toshi was kicked out of homicide. Days later, Graysmith hunts Toshi down to question him about Rick Marshall. 
and I'm calling absolute fucking bullshit yet again. You tried to say to me this ho the homicide detective will actually listen to this little twerp. I think not. Anyway, Toshi tells him to drop it. Cut to Graysmith at home with his kids doing research on a Zodiac killer. What the fuck? I mean, he has these two younger sons doing research on a fucking Zodiac killer. He's going on and on and on about lunar cycles, and I'm getting fucking copycat flashbacks. Moving the fuck right on. It's now August 8th, 1979. On TV in a dive bar, Avery watches on the news that Graysmith claims he cracked the Zodiac's code, and Avery looks like shit. He's breathing through an oxygen tank and looks like a death's fucking door. So that night... Mel isn't pleased, Graysmith glory-hounded himself on TV, saying there's been phone calls late at night every single night for weeks on end, and she is fed up with it. After a fight, he runs out to meet the mysterious Mr. Vaughan, played by Charles Fletcher, Roger Rabbit himself. He tells him to follow him home as he has information for him, which this fucking idiot does. In the middle of nowhere, he takes him. Graysmith asks about the most dangerous game, also about the mysterious film left behind by Rick Marshall. Vaughn tells him he writes the posters, not Rick. Oh shit, you're in danger, Clarice. You're in danger, girl. So what's that? Graysmith knows and tries to get out, but nope, this idiot fucking twat follows this guy deeper into the basement. Deeper they go into the said basement as he puts on more and more lights. This fucking basement is huge. And I wonder if they had basements in California. Anyway. So this is where Buffalo Bill had his night vision glasses on and Clarice is firing wildly into the dark. Such a great movie, Bitterness. Watch it now. After being spooked, Graysmith backs out of the basement, backwards that is, but Vaughn has locked the front door so he's well and truly fucked. Vaughn lets him out and he just runs home in his little car. What the fuck? Returning home, he finds out Melanie and the kids have now left. With 20 minutes left in this fucking slog fest. Jesus Christ, dragging much. Graysmith visits Darling's sister in jail. She tells him about a house painting party she threw and how this weird guy showed up that Darling was afraid of. Graysmith tells him it's Rick. She says no, but he demands it is. And she tells him it was a guy called Lee. With that, Graysmith runs to Malanix. Mullinax, but his fucking name, to see a file on the case, which he does, and here, Graysmith rants on about Lee, this is utter fucking bullshit I'm calling, Mullinox doesn't want to know however, and throws him out, cut to a montage of him writing the book, with files piled everywhere, that's Graysmith that is, Melanie shows up to hand over divorce papers, wait these two are married since fucking when? Never even showed it in a movie, they just show on one date, then she's got a kid, and then she's moved in, and she's moving out. What the fuck? So she leaves him in his squall to write his pissy little book, as that night he hunts down Toshi in a manic state. And how in the fuck does this movie have 15 minutes left? Just fucking end already! Toshi opens the door once Christmas screams, It was Alan! Done it due to his birthday being the 18th of December. Cut to them at an all night diner with Graysmith ranting and raving. It's Alan, as he has proof, but he has nothing. And can this fucker end already? After hearing him out, Toshi tells him he can't prove a fucking thing. Just write your bloody well book. On 
December 20th, 1983. Graysmith goes to see Alan at his work. He's working in a hardware store. And he just stares at him and leaves. Cut to August 16th, 1991. The book is finally out and indeed is a bestseller. Cops wanted to arrest Arthur Lee Allen, but he died of a heart attack before they could. As credits finally roll. So that was Zodiac and my god is this drag. The acting is top notch over. The facts are correct and the killings are correct. But this just drags. With no suspense, no thrills. It's just dry facts. And I hate this Graysmith character in this fucking movie. He is such a glory hound little twat. I mean, this just drags. This could have been cut by at least 90 to 95 minutes. But I will give this thing a uber generous 5 out of 10. So I'll come back next month as I look at the Predator movies. So don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe. Also leave a 5 star view on iTunes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Here's a Johnny's Pod and email me with suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out my franchise podcast of Alien, House, Captain America, and more. Also, my solo podcast of Donnie Darko, The Fog, The Mist, and many, many more. A bye. And remember, I have watched these movies, so you don't have to. You don't have to watch The Hell of Lambs, a much better movie. A bye.